Welcome to an all brand new episode of Talking the Witcher. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I am so happy to be here with you today. Um, This is a brand new venture with me and my wonderful co-host, Jen. And Jen, this is a show that you really championed. And uh, tell us uh, about yourself as well as uh, uh, what you why you wanted to cover the show. Okay. Well, uh, obviously I'm Jen. Uh, I live in a little tiny Island on the, uh, in the middle of the Pacific called Maui. So uh, sometimes in the background, you may hear some of our native wildlife, including a rooster. Just got to throw that out there because it seems to come up kind of often. Um, the Witcher is one of the series that I really wanted to do. And Kinti and I have done quite a few of these. Um, but I championed this one because there is such a awesome sort of trifecta of information out there uh, about this series. One is, of course, the original books that were written, and they're amazing. It's it's just an unbelievable high fantasy epic that all sort of get into about how they treat some of our story and material, and then how the series is treating it as well. But then we also have the games, which were wildly popular, especially The Witcher 3, our story and, material, have, and then how they've seen a resurgence lately in uh, popularity. And that is really exciting, too. And the interesting thing about this is that the games actually add almost a different layer of lore to The Witcher than the books did. It all draws from the books in terms of what the basic mythology is, what the basic lore is. Um, And there's a lot of uh, Eastern European mythic structure that some of us may not be super familiar with, but then there's lots of stuff in here that is really familiar to all of us. And actually in the first episode that we're going to get into, there's uh, an awesome story parallel, which I can't wait to sort of discuss. So uh, the reason that I wanted to do this is because there is all of this information out there. There's all of these convergences and yes, I'm using that word on purpose Um, of the story material and much like the world of the witcher these convergences lead to all kinds of interesting little side alleys and uh little storylines to go down so i'm really excited to talk about this and kinte has not seen the witcher uh all the way through uh in terms of the series this is my fourth watch through i think or possibly yeah at least four um i have read all the books I have played all the games through. Um, there's some story mods that I haven't actually used yet, which I'm super excited to try, but you know, there's just some small things that I haven't done. But overall, I think you could call me a fan. So that's basically it about me and what I am hoping that we get to accomplish in this. Yeah. Um, I, okay. Just to kind of piggyback on what Jen is saying, I've only seen the first episode. So each episode, podcast we do the only information i'm gonna have is whatever episode we are covering uh also i've never played a witcher game or read any witcher books i have no idea what's going to happen in this season so uh you know this is going to be brand new so this is uh so i i just completed watching the first episode and um so jen is driving this ship and i'm gonna try to add whatever i can add to it um I, I hopefully as I go along, I will be able to add a little bit more to the conversation. Being that I only watched the first episode and uh, I, not as clear on everything as, as I like to be, so I'm gonna really just kind of piggyback off of Jen and try to uh, add, you know, what what I can to it, and hopefully as this story goes along and it becomes more clear, all the facts you know, everything that's going on that I'll be, uh, you know, a better podcaster when it comes to this material. So, uh, kind of, if you can, can you kind of give, uh, people who, I don't know why you would, you know, haven't watched the show and then listen to this podcast, but like, uh, you know, who's in it and, and that kind of business. Well, um, first of all, just so that we're super clear, right. I, I won't venture 
too far into uh, books or video games, except perhaps to bring out by contrast, maybe how some things are done a little bit differently. And because they have made significant changes to storylines in the series. And I think that we should really concentrate on the series because that's what's being presented for us. So, you know, I don't want to get into why one might be better or another might be, you know, if it adds to the explanation, then great. Then I'm here for that. Um, If it gives a little bit of background, I'm here for that too. And of course, you know, you can lean on me to ask any questions that might be sort of nebulous, but just overall, I just want people to know that I really am leaning into the series as presented by Netflix and not leaning into the books per se. It is a a, a very wide world um, in his books. It's just a fantastic, huge, epic story. So that piece Oh, okay, we're having a little technical difficulty with Jen. So uh, as we wait for it to come back, um, you know, I, I want to acknowledge everybody who's listening. And uh, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I don't know what happened. No, uh, my, my studio decided to quit on me. Just some technical difficulties, but we are you are back and uh, awesome. continue where you left off. Uh, I what was the last thing that you heard me say? Uh, you were just going into uh, the kind of the overall piece about the you know the series. Okay, well uh, let me let me give a, a bit of background. So there's the series of books which were written by uh, uh, a man who is now in his seventies, named uh, Andrzej Sapkowski, and the Witcher series is what the video games are based on, and also what the Netflix series is based on. Now, we know from Netflix that they are trying to follow the books as much as they can and not necessarily the video games. But you can see in the visual style that Netflix has chosen to adapt that they rely heavily on some video game uh, awesomeness. So there are definitely components and aspects of it, but story-wise, I think we're leaning into the books a bit more. So in terms of who we have as the cast... Uh, the Witcher, who is Geralt of Rivia, who we'll sort of get into about, you know, what his backstory is and things like that as the series progresses, um, is played by, um, it's it's almost even hard for me to see him as not being Superman, but Henry Cavill. Um, We also have, uh, which we didn't see in the beginning episodes, maybe I'll skip over that one. Um, We have Freya Allen, who plays Ciri. Um, We have uh, we, we have a, kind of a cast that are filled with some people that we know, some people that we don't know, some interesting uh, knowns, some, I think, really interesting casting choices just in terms of who looks like who. Um, and I, one other thing that I just wanted to quickly mention about how they did the casting here. Uh, you know, what's funny to me is the the main person, Henry, um, he actually, I guess, pitched to get this role. He's a huge video game fan and absolute, and apparently a huge book fan too. Um, and he has done several sort of vignettes uh, that are all produced by Netflix about the sword fighting, about some of the backstory. And it's really interesting to watch. So I highly suggest that if you want to see another you know, geeky person talk about The Witcher, mm-hmm. listen to what he has to say because he's got some really cool insights. So that that's based, that kind of wraps up that up, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so, all right. So uh, the first episode is entitled The Ends at the Beginning. Um, so uh, you want to kind of talk about what, what you believe is the reason for that title? Well, uh, you know, like I said, this is my fourth watch through now. And so, you know, I, I know what sort of these things mean, but it is a little bit spoilery. So I think maybe I won't say exactly what is going on here, but I will say that it's there's so many clues in this episode that feel to rob from another uh, story timey-wimey everything is extremely um 
it's and I think that they actually do a really good job with this by setting stuff up in sort of uh, these takes the scenes that happen between uh, the 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 court basically with Queen Calenthe and what's happening with the Witcher as we are introduced to him as he comes into this place called Blaviken. Um, the the thing that I think is most interesting is if you listen to the dialogue, you'll hear inconsistencies. And there's a reason for those inconsistencies. And I'm, I am super interested to hear what you thought about that or if you even picked up on any of that. No, I did. I did not pick up on the inconsistencies. Because, uh, um, you know, when you first start a show, you're kind of not really sure who's yeah. who or what's what. So um, if you can give us some insight. Well, a couple of things that happen specifically around Kalenthi and uh, what people say about her is we hear Siri talk about how she, Queen Kalanthi, uh won her first battle when she was Siri's age. This is when they're at the banquet. Right. Okay? okay, so that's one piece. And we hear that. And so we know that as a young person, she definitely did some very great things. Now, fast forward to the conversation that Geralt is having with Renfri in the forest. And you'll hear Renfri say, Queen Kalanthi just won her first great battle. Hmm. Okay. I didn't pick up so, uh, yeah, and you know, I didn't pick up on that the first time through either. It completely went right over my head. But it, the, this is one of the things that going forward uh, is actually pretty important. Oh, okay. All right. So you got to pay attention to the details. You d- To a degree, yeah. To um, You know, I, it's not the kind of show that like every single detail matters in the sense that you know, they're trying to hide Easter eggs or anything. But the way that this story is told, which will become apparent shortly, um, it, there's a, a bit of um, ambiguity in how things are unfolding. And it, it's done, I think, for a really good reason. And in, and in the end, it does really work out really well. But it's a bit confusing at the beginning. So if there is a way to sort of help people to understand what that is without being too confused. I think that that's actually a good thing. Oh, okay. All right. So in, in the very beginning, in that very first scene, I just wanted to briefly touch on that because as an introduction to who Geralt is, Geralt's a monster hunter. Witchers are monster hunters. And we see him fighting this Kikimura and it kind of looks like a giant uh, spidery sort of thing. And one of the most interesting things that I heard people say was, well, why did they make Geralt look like such a monster in the beginning? You know, he doesn't look like that when he goes into Blaviken. What's going on with that? And the this episode doesn't go into detail about what is happening there. But I just wanted to say that there's a really good reason for that. It's a There's a very specific reason that he looks very different when he's fighting that monster than he does when he goes into Blaviken to try to sell the monster. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about the monster itself? Oh, it was frightening. It was a, a great beginning. It puts you right into it and it was a great battle. It looked really good. Uh, so it lets you know right away that it's going to be a uh, high, you know, uh, production value. Definitely. Yeah. I felt the same way. And that sword that he's fighting with um, is a silver sword. So it's really uh, expensive. Uh, It's very, um, it's obviously not a super heavy metal. Um, And Geralt relies on that sword a lot. But that is his silver sword. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, the, the the other thing that I wanted to just point out in that very beginning piece is one of the things that I saw when I first watched the show is how sort of true to form it feels um, in terms of video game. Like you could actually feel yourself being in the middle of that as almost per- first person perspective fighting the monster. I, and I really appreciated that. Felt like that was a huge shout out. For the, uh, yeah, for our, uh, the people who love the video game. 
yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was right there. There's another uh, part of the episode that also feels like it's right out of a video game. And that also made me think of the same thing. But this, this I think, was a really good introduction. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <clears throat> so the almost the next thing uh, that we kind of see with Geralt, because I'll go back and forth with the uh, with the Queen Kalanthi and Sintra storyline as well. The next thing that we see with Geralt is he is going into this Native town called Blackton, and it's a fishing town. So they're pretty, if they're poor, it's pretty reliant on uh, on fishing as their main trade. And there's this market, and the market is a, a really big deal. It's pretty much the only thing that these people have going for them right now. Um, and he goes into this pub and he meets this person. Um, well, the first thing that happens is he's confronted by the innkeeper or the, 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 you know, the barkeeper and a group that clearly don't like him. And it sort of sets up this idea about people don't really like witchers. Did you get, I mean, did you get, I'm sure that you got that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, it was, he was being discriminated against based on his, uh, his race. Based on his race. Well, so, uh, you know, there's, in fact, I don't really think it kind of gives anything away to say that in this world, witchers are not revered. Monster hunters are not revered. Um, and they don't at any time really talk about what creates this, uh, the situation whereby witchers are unwelcome. And just to give you kind of a little bit of uh, pre-story background, a long time ago, Mm-hmm. There was this thing that happened with the worlds, which if we were to think about it kind of in a standard term, it would be a little bit like um, multi-universes collided or maybe not universes, but different um, uh, dimensions sort of collided and they call them spheres. And the the event that happened was called the convergence. And so what ends up happening is during the convergence, when these spheres meet and collide, things that don't exist in one world get to exist in that world uh, and other things can happen. It sort of breaks the balance of that world. And the monsters that are all over in this world basically are there because of that convergence. And the only the witchers the witchers were created to fight the monsters and only the witchers have the ability to understand because they do such huge which i think we'll get into in season two um research into who the monsters are and what they do and what their weaknesses are and all of that and uh they're given special power to be able to do it so um, in the first scene, we don't really see Geralt using too many special powers. Everything that he's doing is with his sword and sort of his superhuman strength. But that's kind of the basic behind that. So he walks into this place. He meets the bartender. And he also meets this woman who kind of saves him from what might end up, you know, being a bar brawl. I love the line from the bartender that says you can leave on your own or you can leave uh, in a noose or something like that. I love Mm -hmm. that. I thought that was great. That really shows how much they really hate him. (laughs) And the poor guy, he hasn't even done anything yet. So, Um, so what did you think of that? The, just the scene in the bar itself, what did you get from it? Um, I think it's just kind of, you know, it's a typical, scene where they're trying to kind of give you the the lay of the land as far as how he's perceived by people who don't even know who he is. I mean, I mean, they don't really know who he is. They just know what he is or what he does. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't take much of it just that, you know, it is, it's just letting you know how people see him and view him. But my thing is like, this is what I don't understand is why do they think they can take him when he clearly is more powerful than they are? Okay, so a couple things. <clears throat> Most witchers are very averse to killing or hurting humans. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a thing. They, they, they kill monsters. And Geralt in particular has uh, a reputation for not wanting to hurt people. Um, he doesn't see that as his 
primary goal. And witchers are not uh, invulnerable to hurt and harm. They absolutely positively can be hurt, which we see actually much later in the episode, but they can be killed just as, maybe not just as easily, but they can still be killed. So I think what was happening in that scene was there were six of them, six of the guys, and I think that they thought that they could easily overtake him with just sheer number. Oh, so they're thinking, okay, it's a lot of us. We can take this one guy, one guy, but this one guy is, you know, is superhuman. Also, the other thing which exists in this world, which is not very well explained in the series at all, is, you know, witchers have different kinds of abilities. So it's not, there's so much uh, myth and lore out there about who witchers are and a lot of disinformation. So I don't think everybody really knows exactly what he can do. And they don't know his level of proficiency with either the sword. I mean, he's Geralt. They don't know who he is at this point necessarily. Like he doesn't have the huge reputation that uh, that later will sort of learn, you know, maybe he kind of earns. But at this point, he, we don't have any of that. It, it, that you know what it, it feels, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know what it kind of feels like is uh, one of those... Um, westerns where it's a, a gunslinger comes into town and yes. he's like the fastest gun you know that kind of deal so it, it feels very like it's like a western almost yes and yes. I, I think that's what they were going for right it, it, i think you're absolutely right that is 100 percent. yeah and and it, it's also you know there's um i think that in the beginning what we're supposed to understand here including his first meeting with stregobor is that Geralt has a very specific code of honor that keeps him or tries to keep, he tries to keep himself from doing things that cross the line for him um, morally. He just has his own set of moral codes. Now, what is perhaps I think the most interesting is even in this episode, that's tested to the point that he basically has to make the very choice that he just said that he doesn't want to have to make. And uh, the, this is sort of a recurring theme with, uh, with Witcher. It is always about uh, which is stronger, uh, free will or destiny. And, you know, oftentimes it seems like destiny has the upper hand and free will just kind of comes in a little bit afterwards weekly and goes, oh, yeah, I'm still here. So... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's that. Um, I, I, I wanted to touch on Renfrey real quick. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about her story, but I wanted to straight up say that Renfrey is absolutely a Snow White derivative. Renfrey, the, even, uh, so there aren't seven of them, but there are six. Um, Renfrey has a band of men. They're not dwarves, but they, there's this direct correlation where free story is she was sent out so that she might possibly survive and instead was let go because in sort of a, a change up, but still she was, she got let go um, and then hunted again. And it, it's sort of a, almost a, a pretty direct parallel between that story and Renfrey's story. So with that in mind, what did you think of Renfrey? Um, and she's the, the young lady who later at the end ends up confronting Geralt. Right, yes. Right. In, uh, in the books, I believe she has a different name. Uh, I, I think actually she adopts the name of Shrike. Um, uh, but if for the, for the Netflix purpose, her name is Renfrey. Okay. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get it confused with the, the, uh, the younger, let, let me, um, uh, we're talking about her right here yes that's Renfrey all right. right all right um okay so uh one thing that I that I uh got from her character is you know that she's obviously in this you know in this harsh environment or this harsh world 
that, you know, it's, it's tough to be anybody, but especially, you know, a woman in this world. And she's had to live her life like, um, you know, uh, you know, she had to live a tough life, a hard life, which has made her hard and it's made her, you know, s- somebody who's formidable. Right. Um, I would say that uh, without, you know, going into, you know, how everything turns out for her, um, I I enjoyed her character. I felt like her character was a, you know, was a. Um, I feel like she kind of gives you an insight onto the people that are going to be into this world that we're going to be seeing right on this show. So, you know, um, well, I mean, look, if, if anybody's listening to this podcast, they've seen this episode. So, you know, uh, she's a strong character to meet her demise pretty early in the story. I mean, you want to see, I guess the way they set her up, you could have seen more of her character. It's unfortunate. And the actress is, does a, a fantastic job. Right. Her name is Emma Appleton. The actress. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to uh, sort of deconstruct that fight scene at the end, but I want to say that um, the character as they present her in the series is kind of an amazing peek into both, like you said, what's happening in the world itself right now. And also as it relates to Geralt and his decisions, what he decides to do and how he decides to confront what he considers to be evil. I guess I would kind of put in quotes, but the wrong side. Um, And Renfrey really sort of brings out in him this, conflict of okay what makes you a monster and he i think decided the moment that she made the choice to cross blades with him that she was indeed the monster and what was fascinating to me about the choices that we see them kind of struggle with a bit as they're having one-on-one dialogue out in the forest is that Renfrey has a really good reason for wanting to kill Stregobor. And I think in some ways, maybe Stregobor sort of has, uh, to me, it feels misguided. But I think in terms of who the character is, he sees a perfectly good reason to want to kill Renfrey. Now, the most fascinating part to me about this is why he would want to kill Renfrey and not why he would want to kill Geralt. Because Geralt and Renfrey are cut almost from the same cloth. So there is the the levels of ambiguity that are happening around character choices are clearly far more reaching than what we are even allowed to peek into as we see those uh, interactions happening. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I I totally get what you're saying. Um, And, you know, it's... uh, I hate to invoke this, but um, people are... We're kind of trying to say this is... This might be the new Game of Thrones. When I say new Game of Thrones, meaning the fantasy show with political intrigue and, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. So, and I... And so, so far... We have, you know, it, you know. Obviously, that's a big. Those are, those are some big shoes to to um, to uh, follow. So, uh, and do you feel like? And, and and just as a side note, do you feel like because this came out, you know, not soon, not long after Game of Thrones, right. and there's a lot of there's a lot of people hoping that it would fill that void. Do you feel like? Um, Maybe that it's unfairly getting put that put that kind of tag on that it needs to live up to that, even though the different it's you know different material, different um, studios producing it. Uh, it's just exists in the fantasy space. Um, a, a little because you know Game of Thrones and specifically George Martin had a very different um, overall tone for his high fantasy story. Um, This is, it's really different. I'll give you a great example. 
George Martin, although he didn't always write everything specifically uh, linear, for the most part, everything that happens in the entire epic uh, Song of Ice and Fire is told narratively linear. In the Witcher series, it's more like an anthology, uh, loosely, of what Geralt does, what has happened to him, um, you know, pieces of things that make sense in the world, and then a narrative. So there's a, it, it's a lot more in some ways fragmented than the, well, the narrative is more fragmented than the Game of Thrones narrative. And where the Game of Thrones narrative also relies very heavily on a kind of internal dynamic between kingdoms um, and specifically as they relate to you know who has the most power witcher is not it feels like it's building toward that but it really isn't that it really is about um a, a kind of it, this is the the again the world of making moral choices uh it is in a very similar way to the way that we understand our world by reading fairy tales and uh, myths and legends and epic poems and things like that, Witcher has a very similar feel to it in the sense that it gives us a kind of framework by which we can see how people who have really difficult choices get to make them. And whether or not the question, or not whether or not, but whether the the overriding idea of destiny and fate make a difference in a person's life or whether they get free will as sort of their ultimate bottom line this is my trump card and game of thrones didn't have as much of that in some ways i wish wish game of thrones did but in this world it's quite a bit different so yes in some ways i feel like uh, you know yay if you are here for something that fills the void of high fantasy epic like game of thrones um but you'll never get what game of thrones gave you because it's just too different of a story right right and and honestly that's probably not a good way to judge your your um your watching stuff is based on something else like enjoy it for what it is you know well I, I do think that there is a, a bit of this that is important. And that is like, you know, look, I love the horror genre. The horror genre to me is my most favorite and most comfortable place to be. I absolutely adore it. So I will watch B movies. I will watch, I will watch terrible movies. Sometimes I watch attack of the killer donuts. I, I will watch whatever it is within that genre because I enjoy the genre. And I think if you are looking for something that is high fantasy and you enjoy high fantasy, you will enjoy this, but you won't get the same level of uh, uh, three-dimensional chess that you do out of Game of Thrones. It just isn't built that way. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And I agree. This is definitely not afraid to... This series is not afraid to not take itself seriously and when i say that i mean there are so many shout outs to the video game i mean it's almost it approaches breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall but i mean there's so many references to the actual video game itself and then there are all of these references obviously to the source material of the book but it just feels like you know it's not afraid to laugh at itself in a way that is to me really refreshing it doesn't feel like it is so incredibly um serious that you have to uh, you know, be a high fantasy scholar to enjoy it. You really get the sense that it feels like it's this is um, fun for the sake of it being action adventure. Right. That's my feeling, anyway. Um, so if we can move over to the story of uh, Nilfgaard. Queen Calanthe and Ciri. Uh, there, a lot of things are going to, in fact, in the next episode, we're going to see quite a few things that will bring what just happened into further uh, disarray. But in this episode, what we see is Calanthe, who is obviously a very strong queen. Right here. And 
Yes. And her husband, um, who is now uh, the king, and obviously they try to really play him up as being uh, a rogue, um, uh, is when they are talking and having kind of their uh, back and forth, it feels very much like they are, uh, uh, what's a good word? They're very comfortable with each other. Does that make sense? Yes. And how did you feel that the relationship was between all of them, both at the banquet and even before? Because I sometimes I wonder if I see maybe more into it than other people do. Um, I mean, uh, they you know they just seem like they are. They, they seem like p- characters who are obviously looking to be, you know, looking for power and their place in the world. And it just came off to me, you know, just, I mean, I didn't really put a whole lot into it cause it's like kind of the opening stuff. So right, I don't right. know if I took anything necessarily out, out of it, you know, substantial, you know, it's probably one of those things when I go back, uh, I'll see it more. Well, so a couple interesting things that happen in especially the banquet scene, we're introduced to somebody, uh, a, a, a magician, um, who is a little bit different than the magician who is Stregobor, but his name is Mausak. That's one. He's kind of an important character, and we see quite a bit of him in this episode. And then we also um, see Iced. Uh, Iced is Kaladvi's husband. Um, they, at this point, have been married for, I think, 13 years or so. And Nilfgaard, when it invades, it, it, the, the reason that I think that that scene is so important is because it shows that Kalenthi, as much as she is prepared, and as much as she believes that um, they are sort of invulnerable in Sintra, Nilfgaard has managed to invade very quickly. And you also hear reference, which I'm just going to throw out there as, you know, hey, this might be important, um, that they had to get through Sodden first. Uh, That's a a bit important. So think about that. That's actually, I think, uh, an important piece. Um, But Sintra itself is a kind of, uh, what's a good word for them? Uh, They're a a little bit um, uh, condescending in the sense that, well, Calanthia is, in the sense that she really doesn't believe that anything bad will ever happen to Sintra. She really believes that they are absolutely positively prepared. And you heard her tell uh, Ice or Ice tell her um, that Skellig was sending 50 ships. And while they're on the battlefield, you find out that those 50 ships were lost at sea. So there is no help that's coming for them in that final battle scene uh, when basically Nilfgaard wins the day and Kalanthi is sent wounded terribly back to Sintra. Hmm. Um, and so just from sort of an overall standpoint, that piece is, uh, is kind of a, it, it's a, a peek into uh, what is happening sort of all over the place. Nilfgaard is um, attacking from the north. They are a northern kingdom. And they are have unleashed themselves on uh, all of the kingdoms below them. So it, it, this is kind of a big deal. What did you? How did you feel about the both the battle and sort of what ended up happening? Um, the battle was pretty awesome. I mean, you know, it, it, it has that scope, you know, of uh, the it has that giant scope of. Um, of you know all the men and uh, everything and it looked great uh you know so i one thing you i'm looking at is okay what's the production quality at you know uh trying to figure out who the characters are and how they relate to each other and uh so when you you know the battle it was really cool because it it shows that um you know for me it's more so okay this this show is going to be on a certain level as far as quality. So, yeah. so how it relates to people, I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, and I, I think, uh, I think one of the things about the battle that we can infer is that, and you can see it pretty clearly. Sintra was really overrun by Nilfgaard. I mean, when you see how many people are, or how many soldiers are in the Nilfgaard army 
and then lined up in reserve up on top of the hill. I mean, it feels pretty overwhelming in comparison to Kalenthi's army, to Sintra's army. So, uh, you know, you get the feeling that Nilfgaard is pretty organized and very powerful. So that's a big deal. I feel like that's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and and also, we you know, we just met Iced and now he's dead. So <laughs> there's that. Um, Kalanthi, we meet her in this episode and she dies. She dies jumping out the window. And I'll have a lot more to say about that in later episodes because it ties in directly to something that happens later. It was a big question for a lot of people about why she chose to take her own life as opposed to, um, you know, trying to survive. But if you'll notice, everybody else in the castle also took their own lives. And there's a really good reason for that. Um, but I don't want to spoil anything. So I want to make sure that we have a chance to talk about things episode by episode. But that was, I mean, it was telling that they spent so much time on people committing suicide, basically, rather than being captured by the Nilfgaard army. Right. Did you catch that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it made perfect sense. I'm, you know, it, it's like, what would you rather, you know, especially when you're that high up, you know, what would they do to you? You know, what kind of uh, things lied for you, lied for you? Yeah. And, and there's also more specific reasons behind that as well. But again, we'll get into that in a bit. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to quickly touch on was Siri. So Siri is the granddaughter of Kalanthi. Um, at this point, you know, we don't know what her actual parentage is, but we do know that she is Kalanthi's granddaughter. Um, they call her the Lion of Sintra. Or, I'm sorry, they call her the the Cub of Sintra. They call Kalanthi the Lion of Sintra. Um, and she has a, a rather unique power, which we saw unfold in this episode. Um, and again, I won't get too far into what that is, but it's, it, it is pretty amazing. The scene where she is being uh, chased and the level of destruction that she is able to wield on the land to create that chasm is absolutely astounding. I mean, you know, from a visual perspective, it really left me breathless. I was really impressed by the way that they did that. What did you think? Oh, heck yeah. It was pretty dope. Like, uh, and, you know, once again, showing you what, you know, and this is just the first episode, you know? So if it's, if it's going to be like that in the first episode, you know, what can we expect well, going forward? It, it seems pretty obvious that Siri doesn't have any idea of what kind of power she actually has. She's just trapped and lashing out. Um, and th that ends up being the way that she can protect herself. I don't think at this point we should e infer that she knows anything about, in fact, Kalanthi, I think even mentions at one point that she thought that it might skip her. So we know that there's something familial going on with that power. Um, but she hasn't been given any information about it. So I, you know, she wouldn't know how to wield it, even if, even if somebody said to her, oh, you have this, nobody's trained her how to do anything. That to me was actually kind of cool. I liked that a lot. And then the the last thing um, here is Renfrey's dying words. Renfrey's dying words were, the girl in the forest will be with you always. She is your destiny. And what do we think that that means? Me personally, I feel like Yes, when I say we, I actually mean you. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> me, me personally, I feel like saying that your imperative is is her. That's what you are meant to do. Is who? Um, the girl. The I, I don't know her name. I haven't learned Siri. her character. You're talking name. about Siri. Siri, right? Yeah, the young girl, right? Queen Calanthe's granddaughter. The the rat killer. Yes. No. Uh, no. That's not the rat killer. No, okay, my bad. No, the the rat killer was the alderman's daughter. And, oh, okay, I got it mixed up. My bad. Right, she was actually a resident of Blaviken. So, okay. Calanthe's, so she, Princess Siri 
is actually we see cut scenes to her separately mm-hmm. and and you're absolutely right that Renfrey's last words are to remind Geralt that destiny basically can't be screwed with that look your destiny is waiting for you you know stop trying to mess around with them So that, I think, is, I mean, there's lots of things in this episode that if you, oh, okay, one last, sorry, I know I said that was the last thing, but this really is sort of an important part. The fight scene that happens as Geralt enters the Blaviken Square um, is, you know, I mean, it feels like it came directly out of the video game, just sort of whole cloth. I mean, not that, not that any one of those pieces is, is like, from the video game but it it had that feeling to it and if you watch again i'm just going to go back to one of the things that makes the series so great if you watch the deconstruction of that fight scene that henry cavill uh goes through it's really amazing the level of stunt work and the level of choreography that is happening in that fight scene alone is unbelievable and the thing that just astounded me about that even before i saw him deconstruct it was that it is all one take it is the camera work is so amazing it's so unbelievably astounding that they were able to do everything in that scene in one take there is not a single cut and you know talk about production value any one thing that could go wrong if it had gone wrong would have totally interrupted and then they'd have to start it all over again and i have to wonder how many times that happened but it was amazing from the viewer's standpoint to feel like you are right inside of every single action piece it felt intimate and personal that fight scene like you know not only do we get to know how Geralt fights um, in close quarters, but we sort of get to feel how he uh, how he operates with the sword. The sword is such an extension of who he is that it's almost he he bats away a crossbow bolt with his sword. I mean that's huge, absolutely huge. So, what did you think of the fight scene? I, God, I hope that you really liked that. No, I really did. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I like the, um, you know, it, the way that it starts off with the crossbow and he knocks it down and then he just starts taking those guys out. It was it was very impressive. Uh, I One of the things that I actually really liked about uh, the, the that fight scene was the moment that they moved to Renfrey. Um, there is something, <coughs> excuse me, there is something sort of, almost uh, ethereal about the way that Renfrey and he are, are fighting. Um, They are so well matched that strike for strike, it feels like there is something really powerful going on. And, uh, you know, this is a witcher. This isn't just some fighting guy, you know, some guy that just like picked up a sword. He's really well trained. So it gives you the idea that Renfrey really was uh, a super powerfully trained person who, I mean, in the end she ends up dying, but I, I, just the fact that she was able to go toe to toe with him for so long was just absolutely astounding to me. I, I really loved how long they actually protracted that. Yeah. Yeah. She, and then, you know, when he gets the better of her, um, I like, you know, the, the scene, you know, the, uh, it was like they had, it was two warriors that had a lot of respect for each other. There were, I think three separate times when he basically had the upper hand on her and she could have walked away and she didn't each time. And it wasn't until the last time when he actually had the sword at her throat and she still tried to drive at him. But I think he finally understood, okay, this isn't going to work. I mean, I can't, you can't get redemption if you don't want redemption. You know, you, there's nothing here if you're not going to take it. And that, it, it felt really pivotal. It also, uh, you know, we know from uh, from sort of how Geralt organizes his own thinking that this has a huge impact on him. Killing 
humans is is not something that he likes to do and he obviously shared very intimate moments with her in the forest i can't imagine that it felt to him like this was not it wasn't going to weigh huge on him for a long time you know what i mean right um killing humans is not what i like to do either uh so you know i i, can I, definitely I have a couple really... Yeah, I'm just I, I could definitely relate to, uh, you know, it being difficult. So, uh, no, but. um, And that line about him not wanting to use silver on her was also just like it was actually almost heartbreaking. Magic doesn't work on me. And then she, she she said silver does. And he was like, silver is for monsters. Like, even at that point, he was not ready to say that she was a monster. I just absolutely loved that. Yeah, oh, that was cool. So I I feel like that actually wraps up sort of the all of the high points of uh, of the, this episode. And I know it was a little bit long, a little bit longer than maybe even normal, but there was a lot to get through and a lot of sort of back stuff to kind of deal with. And um, going forward, I think things might be a little bit more straightforward. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, what comes next. Uh, it was a great start. And... Uh... You know, we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well. All right. So how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at following bliss one. And you can check out my websites at movies, make the Lots of recipes to go along with your movie watching choices. And you can check out my new site, which is still sort of in development and launch um called studiowhitewolf.com all right and you guys can get me at kente f on twitter kente ferguson on instagram and of course the website is indyradio.org that's indy radio.org and we will be back with um another episode uh and i'm looking forward to seeing uh how this all shakes out so uh with that said uh you guys have a great rest of your weekend.